Reading this morning is found in the book of Exodus. Uh, We will be reading chapter 34 and verses 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all of the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all of the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all of the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished... Speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. Now, we have here in our text one of the more bizarre stories, I believe, in the Old Testament. Uh, so bizarre it is that we could almost put it in the realm of a, of a child's fantasy if we didn't know better. But to do that, I believe, would uh, really be a travesty. And I would offer a That is a critical mistake because there is a message here that I believe could have a significant impact on our relationship with God and would actually have the power to make us more into the image of the living God. Now, as we look at this text, what we see is this, that God called Moses to Mount Sinai. And there he receives the law of God as he has a face-to-face experience with the living God. And when he comes down from the mountain to give the people the law that God had given to him, he is totally unaware that his face shined with a radiant glow. And the reason is given to us is that he was in the very presence of God. In other words, what the text is telling us is that the glory of God himself was in the face of Moses. And so bright was this light that it actually scared Aaron and the Israelites to the point that they didn't even want to come near to Moses. So in order to communicate with the people, Moses put a veil over his face. And every time... He went in to be into the presence of God. He would take this veil off. And then when he came to talk to the people, he would put the veil back on. Now, the part of this story that I want to emphasize today is Moses' face-to-face encounter with the living God. And I want to ask this question. Is there anything that you and I can glean From this unusual story that will allow us to experience God 
in a deeper way. So I have entitled the message, Experiencing the Presence of God. Now, I would guess that there is not one person here today, listening to my voice, who would say something like this. You know, Stan, I have really no interest in this subject. I don't care about pursuing God. And I certainly don't care about being in his presence. No, none of us, by virtue of the fact that we have been saved from our sins by the blood of Christ, that we have been given a home in heaven as a free gift, and that we have access to the innumerable promises of God's word, none of us, I think, would say, I have no interest in this subject. So this morning, I want to present two basic truths that I believe that will allow us to enjoy a deeper, richer, more intimate experience with the living God. And the first principle has really to do with for, to you and to me. It has to do with who we are. It has to do with the longings of our heart. And the second principle has to do with the character of God himself that makes experiencing him even possible. Now, I can't think of a greater, more important subject for the first Sunday of Advent than for us to broaden our understanding of how to experience the presence of God. For this theme lies at the very heart of Christianity and is the reason for the coming of Christ. So today I want to present a foundational truth, a truth about you. Maybe you know and understand or maybe not. But what I want to say is, That the greatest longing of your heart is for the presence of God. All other desires are but pale reflections of a heart that yearns for the deep personal relationship with God. And I say this as a foundational truth because until we discover discover it and embrace it, we will never really understand the purpose for our existence. We all remember, I'm sure, the St. Augustine who wrote in his confessions, You have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so this morning I have the privilege of preaching to a restless people. To a people searching for something that will quench a deep thirst. And I submit that the good news is that this restless thirst can actually lead us into the presence of the living God. Now, the theme of restlessness is not just an observation of Augustine, but it is also a recurring theme of the Bible as well. And we find it so often in the Psalms. And I believe one of the reasons that we love the Psalms so much is that they reveal this deep longing and thirsting of the heart for God. Psalm 63, the psalmist writes, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. 
My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. This verse describes uh, the thirsty and restless heart of someone who has found that the world is a dry desert and has useless and bankrupt promises. Psalm 30, Psalm 84. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Here the psalmist says that I find greater joy. And greater satisfaction to spend one day in your presence than a thousand days somewhere else. Psalm 27. One thing. One thing I ask from the Lord. And this only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And then Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? And then we have in the New Testament the words... Of the Apostle Paul himself. Who said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. And what about the testimony of Jesus himself? The man who often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Even Jesus himself could not survive the outside world spending unless he spent special time in the presence of his father. We read in the Gospels very early in the morning. While it was yet dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I believe that these passages teach us something that we need to know about ourselves. And that is the greatest longing of the heart is for the presence of God. And I'd like for us to just take a moment and consider how badly we need to hear this truth. For it teaches us why the things of the world do not satisfy It reveals how empty and vain its promises are. It opens our eyes to the vanity of our search for love in all the wrong places. It rescues us from the frustration and the futility of following a path in life that leads to nowhere. It It avoids the guilt of wasted years that once gone can never be retrieved. And when we embrace this truth, and when we understand what God is saying, it rewards us with a life of joy. Assuring us of the words of Psalm 16, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Yes, we long for the presence of God because it is there that we find grace, we find healing, and we find 
forgiveness. Now, with that being said, I certainly understand that we live in a day where this is not easily accomplished. If our greatest need is the presence of God, I submit that the greatest strategy of Satan is to interrupt it at all costs. And I believe he's done a marvelous job at that. I like the words of John Piper who addresses this. He says, we need today to be awakened from our relentless stream of distractions and diversions. The competition for our attention is ruthless. We not only hear our one distracting, siring call after another, but an endless cacophony of voices barrages us all at once. Now, if this describes your life, and I'm sure for many of us it does, I have some very good news. Because there is something far greater that awaits you on the other side of your busy, distracted life, and only you can claim it. So the first thing that we learn is that our deepest aspiration is for the presence of God. But secondly, I want us to note that this passage tells us something of the very character of God. And if we go back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 20, where this story has its roots, we find these words. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And so what this verse is telling us is that we see it is God who took the initiative. It is God who called Moses to come to the mountain. And when Moses comes to meet God there, it wasn't his idea. It was at the invitation of God. And what we can glean from that, folks, is this. That we have a God who is repeatedly and continuously calling us wooing us and blessing us. He is a God who longs for the presence of his people. And everywhere in Scripture, we see that it is God who initiates a relationship with us, not the other way around. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. I love the book, The Hound of Heaven. It's written by Francis Thompson. And it pictures God as relentlessly pursuing him. Coming after him as the hound of heaven. But with the intention to bless him and not to harm him. You see, we have a God who calls. A God who invites. A God who initiates. And how thankful we should be because this is the story of the gospel itself. He's not a God who stands back with folded arms to see if anybody is going to be taking any interest or paying attention. No, he calls, he pursues, and he wins. 
Again, the scriptures abound on this. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself said, Come unto me, all you who are labor, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will fill you. I will fulfill you. And then in the Old Testament book of Zephaniah, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. But he will rejoice over you with singing. It was God who called Moses into his presence. And God is the one who longs for the relationship with you and with me. And I believe that this tells us something very important. It tells us that the God who calls us into his presence is not angry. That he's not mad at you. That he's not calling you into his presence to scold you or to make you feel guilty. Much the opposite. God calls us to transform us, to equip us, and to deepen our faith. Now, I want to notice something about this text that might be easily escaped. The fact is that every time that Moses would go into the presence of of God, the glory of God's presence would set his face aglow so that all around him could see. In other words, it tells us that every time that he met face to face with God, he experienced something dramatic in his life. It was a visible change that everybody around him could see. And here is the principle, I think, for us. That experiencing the presence of God is always transformational. It always leaves its mark. It always has an impact. For you cannot come into the presence of God and ever be the same. Now, it is also clear in our text that not all the people of Israel could go into the presence of God. It was God who called Moses and Moses alone. We read that on the day of the atonement, all the people were not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, but the high priest alone. But today... Under the new covenant, we don't depend upon a human mediator to go into God's presence for us. And I think it's very fascinating that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 actually gives a commentary on the passage that we read. Talking about Moses coming down from the mountain. With a glowing face, he writes in in verse 18. Paul says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What is he referring to? What he's saying is that what Moses experienced 
on the mount is my story and your story as well. For each of us are called into the presence of the living God. You see, under the new covenant, we all have access to the glorious presence of the living God. And we're all being, all being changed. Paul calls it being transformed from one image of glory to another. Our lives are undergoing a radical transformation. Sometimes as we're not even aware. And, and the special thing that is opened up here for us. Is that we begin to become more and more like him. And so the great truth is that what the law cannot do, all of our trying, all of our efforts, all of our endless duties cannot do what the power of God's presence can do. And I, for one, can't think of a better reason to experience the presence of God than to know That he is making me more and more in his image. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the mystery of knowing you. The mystery of being called into your presence and being changed from one image of glory to another. We thank you that in your presence there is power. There is the ability to change. And there is the ability to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So minister your grace to us today. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.